Hey, Retrospectors, for our third birthday, we've filmed an hour-long Q&A answering your questions. We discuss our favourite facts, how we make the show, and what we've learned along the way. If you're already supporting us on Patreon, thank you. You can watch it right now at patreon.com slash retrospectors. And if you're not a Patreon member, sign up. You don't have to pay a thing to become a free member and watch it now. So check it out. It's free. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's July 29th, 10.30 A.D., and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. So it was on this day in 1030 that the brave Christian Viking king of Norway, Olaf Haraldsson, charged his vastly outnumbered troops into the Battle of Stickelstad and fought valiantly despite suffering severe wounds to the neck, knee and stomach. Or possibly there was no battle and he was stabbed to death by his own men or he was ambushed. One or the other of these things definitely happened on this day. And if you're a Norwegian listener, you'll definitely know the Olaf that we're talking about. He's the patron saint of Norway and the Faroe Islands, and this is also his feast day. He's most famed for bringing Christianity to Norway, although that's pretty dubious. Well, even if you accept the narrative that he was the catalyst, he did bring Christianity to Norway. The method in which he did it. (laughs) I mean, I know I keep returning to this and being bewildered by how... Christianity and violence so often go hand in hand. But it's every time I encounter it in history, I'm just like, this isn't what Jesus wanted. Um, <laughs> but he, in a method characterised by extreme violence, went around the country forcing people to convert to Christianity. Yeah, through battle. But he'd also brought with him this English clergyman called Grimkel, who went about organising the structure of the Christian faith in Norway. You know, you can't really blame Olaf for being pretty brutal in his methods. After all, he did come from a family of Viking raiders. I don't upset you, Arian, because I know you think that the Vikings are like, <laughs> the best guys ever, never did anything wrong. <laughs> but he supposedly, from the, his teenage years, had been leading attacks around Europe at the head of these Viking longboats. Yeah, he was involved in the Siege of Canterbury. Apparently, a little link there for those of you listening in Kent. So Olaf, he went to Normandy, which about 100 years earlier had been conquered by the Norsemen. And while he was wintering there, he was converted to Christianity. He was baptised in Rouen Cathedral at the age of 18. And then two years later, he started building an army. And as you mentioned, Arian, in the background, he also had these English clergymen to help him spread his message by hook or by crook. Or indeed by sword. (laughs) What isn't clear is why he'd had this change of heart and been baptised in Rouen, though. Like, why, why suddenly... Was it as a result of having done his fair share of raping and pillaging that he suddenly thought, oh, this this doesn't feel right? (laughs) (laughs) Or... You know, was he convinced by this guy Grimkel to do it? I wonder if we're just looking at it from a modern perspective where we're thinking, oh, he's Christian, he should have been acting with peace and love. Whereas I think in this era, it still wasn't the default religion across Europe by any means. There was this idea that you could be a Christian warrior and that anything you did in the name of spreading Christianity was justified. And even if it meant slaughtering a few pagans, that Mm. was a small price to pay for bringing the gospel of Christianity to the world. Also, it was probably political. You know, it was a time when Scandinavia was 
just in the process of each conquering the other. And the reason that he's back in Norway now is that first he had to flee when the Danish came and took Norway from him. And then he spent some years in the Kievian Rus, where he is also credited as having put down the roots of Christianity before then raising this army of 3,600. And so by the time he gets back to Norway, they're marching under the Christian banner. His cry was from, from, Christmen, crossmen, kongsmen, which was forward, forward, men of Christ, men of the cross, men of the king. And they're going up against the opposing army who were saying from, from, bonda, which is basically forward, forward, farmers. It's kind of peasants versus Christians. It's almost like somebody was making it up from a Christian perspective and they put a lot of effort into the Christian battle cry and then kind of <laughs> half-assed what the opponents were supposed to have said. <laughs> Very good point. Yeah, and there are so many other convenient details that speak to Olaf's heroism because, again, it's important to the Christians who are writing this story a good couple of hundred years later that he looks like a hero. It's also important to weirdos doing battle reenactments now, isn't it, that they've got a script to work with? So if you believe the story that he he was in battle at all, he's stabbed to death in a fairly valiant way. But later historians have posited that it's more likely that he ended up stabbed to death by his own men who just basically decided that they weren't with him anymore. It's pretty easy to imagine how somebody who spread Christianity by these methods could become astonishingly unpopular very quickly. Yeah. I mean, one of his ways of converting towns was to take their leader hostage and torture them until they converted to Christianity and made everyone else do it too. So you can see how that would have been unpopular. It's worth knowing as well what his uh, um, suffix was during his lifetime he was known as Olaf the Fat <laughs> not to his face or sometimes because of these brutal ways of trying to convert the populace Olaf the Lawbreaker oh. people like acknowledging that what he was doing was beyond the book which is just interesting that he then later becomes a saint Mm. Well, because it wasn't just the fact that he was torturing and killing and forcibly converting people that made him the lawbreaker. It was actually the fact that he was literally trying to replace the law of the Vikings yes. with Christian law. So one of the things that this English clergyman Grimkel did was devise a code that would establish Christian church in Norway. And they contained a lot of measures that were quite controversial if you were a Viking living at this time. For instance, they banned slavery. So the system of thralls that was in place at the time, it enforced a Sunday Sabbath. And obviously hearing that you have to spend a day not doing anything for some random reason and if you're used to doing loads of stuff all the time, obviously, mm. again, not popular. And also really cracking down on what had been a pretty relaxed attitude towards marriage. So however he died, whatever people thought of him, he's dead, right? On this day, he's dead. <laughs> we can all agree that. <laughs> we can all agree that he's definitely dead. Uh, but what's interesting about him and the reason why we're bringing you this story rather than any other Viking battle story is because he was proclaimed a saint. Only a year after his death, now this was because of the involvement of Grimkel, who went round telling everybody that his remains, his dead remains, were miraculously uncorrupted. But it, like in the modern day, the Roman Catholic Church officially won't proclaim you a saint for at least five years. So mm. that there's a period of grief and reflection. And to let anything come out of the closet that needs to. Exactly. <laughs> Although actually, the official Catholic Church didn't get round to Olaf until 1164, so they, they weren't super fast on this in Rome. But nonetheless, as far as Grimkel was concerned, time was of the essence because he wanted to ensure really that the Christianization of Norway was fully consolidated. And it was the cult of Olaf that he and his colleagues designed by going around telling everyone he was a saint that did ultimately unify the country behind mm. Christianization. That is why he is still seen no longer as Olaf the Fat, 
but as Olaf the Holy. Yeah, and given the title Rex Perpetuus Norvegae, the eternal king of Norway. And his body was reburied and this time entombed in three elaborate and bejeweled cases at the altar of Nidaros Cathedral, which was built on the site of where at least if you believe the story, he fell in battle. And after this, he soon became the patron saint, and then all sorts of legends came to be attached to him. Yeah, the medieval church was a PR machine worthy of Madison Avenue. They really kicked into overdrive. <laughs> the first miracle associated with Olaf was that his body was supposedly moved into a shed somewhere to be washed, and a blind man who washed his face in the water, presumably not realising it was dead body Ooh. water, mm. regained his sight, if you believe the tale. But that's like a sort of classic saint miracle. But they started you know as time went on these miracles started to get a little bit out of proportion and you can really pinpoint the fact that Norway at this time was transitioning from the pagan period because there are myths about Olaf which have him existing alongside Thor so he was portrayed in some tales as being a slayer of trolls and giants but there are even stories where he fights Thor and wins (laughs) it's funny isn't it because in Hollywood now when they do Viking stories for TV they'd be like oh well they're part of the same universe but actually Mm. that is what people then were doing as well (laughs) folklore (laughs) so it's kind of legitimate isn't it um but he was said to have these healing powers which again only increased the pilgrimages to his shrine and he soon became adopted as this symbol of fertility again because he'd taken on qualities of the norse gods specifically thor and freya and it's from that that he was adopted as the patron saint of sailors merchants and farmers and carvers and difficult marriages (laughs) <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> I can imagine it would have been difficult being married to him. And today in Norway, Oslo's main Catholic church is named after him and the highest award of chivalry is awarded to those people who have made accomplishments on behalf of Norway and or humanity and they are given the Order of Olaf. And he also features on the coat of arms. And you can still do the pilgrimage route to go and visit his tomb in modern-day Trondheim. And they have an annual festival there Olaf's Fest. <laughs> but what's so fascinating about <laughs> these problematic histories <laughs> when they try to uh, coalesce them into a modern day event is the nonsense that they have to come up with to justify linking right. these two things together. On their website, <laughs> it says of uh, Olaf's Fest that uh, in a multi religious society, Trondheim International Olaf's Fest shall offer artistic and cultural activities that acknowledge the significance of faith and doubt for people of all ages. That doesn't sound like something he'd be into. No. I mean, like, uh, why name it after him? Like, this is not his jam. He would have killed the people that you're inviting <laughs> and bent them to his will. And the whole celebration culminates in someone being stabbed in the knee, neck, and stomach. <laughs> Next time. So Dick Clark thought, I know who can do a good Hank Ballard. That young guy that did my Christmas card. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.